Hello, everyone. Uh, everyone listening in on the podcast. Uh, I'm, I have Chi Wen, um, founder and CEO of Purpose Tea. And yeah, really just came across the product and came across her Voice Dallas interview and was very interested in her story, interested in the product, and kind of learning a little bit about the tea markets and just kind of how they're kind of a little impacted during COVID-19. But yeah, definitely. Thank you again, Chi, for kind of jumping on this call with me. Yeah, no, thank you so much for reaching out. I always love, um, you know, to tell my story and tell the story of the brand and the company whenever we get a chance. And especially because you're, you know, based here in Dallas, it's always great to um, connect with others that are, you know, part of the Dallas uh, entrepreneurial and business community, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And definitely, like, when we get into the product uh, with Purpose Tea, so I actually was able to go out and grab a Purpose Purple Super Tea um, at Whole Foods uh-huh. the other night. Um, so, yeah, I definitely can't wait to try the product and see how it is. But, oh, um, great. Which which flavor did you get? Um, I think it's the, the watermelon mint flavor. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. It's one yeah, of the yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was kind of on the in the aisle and I came across the product and yeah, I had the I think the buy one, uh, get one free kind of I guess special deal going on. So yeah, I grabbed a couple mm-hmm. of bottles. Um, but awesome. yeah, yeah, definitely. So I can't wait to try it. But really, before kind of getting into really the company and just the product in general, I kind of wanted to normally with companies, I kind of like to get into kind of the background and kind of what led to the inspiration behind this business. And really, when I saw uh, your Voyage Dallas article and when I saw kind of read information about you on the website, I saw that um, really one of uh, the the fundamental moments in your life was immigrating from communist Vietnam um, to the Mm -hmm. United States. And I kind of wanted to just ask um, just on how hard that transition was and was there, I guess, any moments that stick out that, I guess, led to your passion? for just helping others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for asking that because that's really, you know, a lot of times people will ask why. Like, you know, why did you start a social enterprise or why did you start a company um, that was really based on, you know, giving back and building a better world? And so really I started this company with with one fundamental vision in mind, and that is to use business to drive uh, um, positive change in the world. And so for me, um, there were two really defining moments in my life. One is obviously emigrating um, here to the United States from Vietnam. And so that experience, I mean, I was so young, so I I don't remember the actual trip. And I don't necessarily remember, I know you asked about the transition, but I don't remember about the trip, but I do know um, just based on you know, my family stories and, and just, you know, how perilous it was to get over here and the reasons why they left. And so, you know, my parents were, um, my dad was like an intellectual, you know, he, he had to go to a re-education camp for about, um, it was like about six months, you know, and so where they would try to tell you that communism is the way and all these other things. And so Mm -hmm. when he came back, um, you know, they, um, they took away everything. And so he, he was obviously someone who worked at, he, he was just like a superintendent and um, uh, of a school district, mm-hmm. I guess would be like a comparable um, career here. And it was a really powerful position in, in Vietnam, but he knew that he couldn't 
survive because they wanted you uh, or they wanted our family to become farmers. And, you know, going mm-hmm. from someone who used uh, their intellect and their mind as a, as, as a huge aspect of their career to be able to do that, that was just, there was just no way. And of course, if you knew my dad, he was like horrible with his hands. <laughs> he was like <laughs> the worst handyman on the planet. Um, but, uh, but so, so they made the decision to leave Vietnam because, um, you know, they wanted a better life, not really for themselves, but for their children. And so that was really always um, ingrained in me growing up. And so knowing that they literally, literally risked their lives. I mean, we could have been killed, um, you know, trying to leave the country in the middle of the night, um, meeting, mm-hmm. you know, the boat at the rendezvous point. And so, so just, just the, just the gravity of, of knowing, you know, putting myself in their shoes and just understand, I was only like two or three at the time. And can you imagine a two or three year old having to be quiet, um, you know, going and trying to escape a, a, a war um, torn country. So, it was wow. just knowing that, you know, they came over f- for us to have a better life. I just never wanted to, one, miss that opportunity. But I also realized that we didn't get here alone. You know, it's like when we got here, we had help from um, a Lutheran church. And, you know, we had, you know, we had some family. My mom's family was here in Texas as well. And, you know, we just had people who were willing to to help us. And so that really shaped my worldview, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. coming over here, there was, you know, they didn't understand. um, My dad spoke some English, but having to learn a completely new language, having to adjust a completely new, uh, new life and a new place. I mean, people just don't seem to understand like how difficult, you know what I mean? Like that, that Mm -hmm. is, but we were also so grateful uh, to have the opportunity. And so knowing that, that really shaped my worldview where I knew, no matter who you are, uh, no matter what your circumstances in life, we all really want the same things. And with a little, and, and with access to opportunity, which is what we got, with a little help from others, we were able to. I mean, really, if you think about it, in a generation, um, improve our lives. I mean, we have a CEO in the family. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. We have a physician. I mean, it's like. It's really incredible, um, you know, what we were able to do with with that opportunity. So that's really a driving force for me. Like, you know, I know that there are others who who want to improve their lives, and and why not, you know, use this platform of business to really, really uh, empower those uh, in in the world. And so, with our business, it happens to be, you know, those most exploited in the business of tea, which tend to be women. And we can kind of get to the tea part here in a little bit. I'm an avid, avid tea drinker. And I just knew a lot about uh, the supply chain just from being uh, a tea drinker. And so I knew there were a lot of issues uh, with the supply chain. And that really just led me um, led me to, to start Purpose Tea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what Yeah, I was kind of going to ask about on, you know, I kind of saw um, really with your Dallas Innovations article on kind of, you know, definitely that's why social innovation was a huge part in kind of whatever business you want to start with. But yeah, I definitely wanted to kind of see, you know, why, why tea, were you, were you always from a young age, a huge tea drinker? Yes, always. So I've always uh, drank tea for, for the health and functional benefits. So, 
you know, I'm a, I'm a very, um, just a clean living kind of person. And so in the morning, you know, I'll have a cup of coffee. I really didn't drink coffee until I met my husband, which was, you know, about <laughs> 17 years ago. I mean, like I only drank tea and water. And so, and so, and then the rest of the day is water and, and tea and tea has always been a huge part of my, my life. And I was an avid green tea drinker. But it, what happened was, you know, my, my brother who has an investment banking background, um, you know, we were at dinner one night and he said, hey, you know, whatever happened to this dream of yours, like of starting a, a social enterprise, because I had always wanted to start, you know, start one. And I have, you know, ideated with uh, some friends of mine and just things just never, you know, life happens. Right. You know, I got married. I have mm-hmm. a daughter. Um, I was a consultant prior to uh, starting the company, so I was traveling a lot, and just you know, life just sort of got in the way. And um, and I told him, I said, no, I really, I really still want to build something, and I really am passionate about about using business as a platform for for good. Um, and he was like, well, let's brainstorm, you know. And so we did, and it was literally over a cup of tea. Um, and, <laughs> and I said, you know. I said, there's, um, there's so many problems in this, in this supply chain. Tea is, is like the second largest, I mean, the second most popular beverage in the world next to water. Um, it's, a gro- it's a growing category I, I knew just because, you know, after I started doing the research. I said, why don't we, you know, one, create a brand um, that is mission-driven and that is differentiated on our mission. And this is before I even knew anything about purple tea. And so that whole sort of idea spurred, obviously, the research and um, taking in as much information as possible about the business, which led to a trip to Kenya, uh, which is hilarious, right? You're like, oh, hey, I've got this idea. and Oh, let's just go to Kenya. Well, (laughs) what happened was, you know, I knew when I did the research, Kenya is the third largest tea growing region in the world. It has really Mm -hmm. high quality teas, but it also has the... um, uh, largest number of um, independent and small farmers where we could do our social impact work. And so mm-hmm. still at this time, when I was ideating, I still knew nothing about purple tea. Um, I was a green tea drinker. Purple tea is really new. So when I was there, our hosts from the Ethical Tea Partnership um, organization that's based in London said, hey, you know, we Kenya is is has commercialized this new new tea it's called purple tea and you know it's got um you know so much more antioxidant activity it's got like exclusive health properties and i just stared at her and i thought what shut the front door like i'm a huge tea drinker and i have never heard of purple tea tell me about it and so of course i got so excited because i thought oh not only will i create a brand that's differentiated on our mission but also on the actual product that we're going to bring to market. And so that's where, you know, the idea of uh, purpose, purple tea uh, was born. Mm. And what are the, so you said uh, Kenya was the third uh, largest, what are the top two countries of the uh, highest uh, tea creators? Yeah. So it's India and China. Oh, okay. And what are, um, so with purple tea, so what am I, uh, so with the purple tea product, what are you normally, what are the different qualities about, I guess, a purple tea as far as, I guess, the taste and then, I guess, wh- what you talked about, the added benefits? Yeah, for sure. So every tea is uh, processed from the green tea bush. Uh, purple tea, however, the leaves are actually purple. 
And if you think about purple foods like blueberries and pomegranates and acai and things like that, they're just just natural superfoods where um, they have a higher level of antioxidant activity. And so purple tea, there have been several, you know, several studies, and they're still early, but um, they're they have about 50% more antioxidant activity than than green tea, which is huge. Even a 5% lift is huge. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. So. So there's that. And then it also has an exclusive, which is really exciting to me, but it has an exclusive uh, phytonutrient um, and without getting super nerdy, but it's called GHG. And this, this, this compound that's found naturally in plants um, is exclusive to purple tea. So no other teas have it. And um, it's been linked to, you know, fat burning and, you know, uh, diabetic benefits and increase, you know, brain health. So there's a lot of just really good stuff. Um, in these purple tea leaves. It also has anthocyanins, which is another uh, compound that makes uh, foods purple. It has more, you know, uh, anthocyanins than blueberries. So it is, um, it's different, but it's also just a better, better alternative um, than your other teas. And so that's one thing. And so for me, health is maybe, you know, my main driver for when I, when I pick uh, things to eat and drink for the most part. I mean, I'll have obviously my burgers <laughs> like uh, sometimes when I want it, but, but for the most part, those are my, those are my drivers. Um, but you asked about the taste. And so, um, you know, green tea can be uh, like, a, there's a grassy note to green tea. Purple mm -hmm. tea to me has a more floral, uh, like a floral and woodsy note. So I, some people say it resembles a little bit of black tea, but I think it has a little bit more of a floral note um, than um, than other teas. But it's it's delicious. It's just different. You know what I mean? And getting folks mm -hmm. to kind of um, that that piece of it is is also an opportunity, right? To get folks to to try it and um, really be able to. Um, shift their palate a little bit but it's not that huge of a difference between you know the way it tastes it's just very subtle mm -hmm. yeah with um i guess when you're so when you're in kenya and you kind of heard about this uh, kind of the purple tea and the explorer fields when i saw kind of the purpose tea website i kind of saw that really female empowerment was kind of a huge mission with the company and kind of a huge importance to you personally mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I was kind of wondering on just, I guess, how severe kind of that, I guess, gender gap is within kind of the tea business and with, uh, yeah. I guess, the farmers. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for asking. I mean, it's really the reason why I started it. Um, so, you know, in uh, so with tea picking, you know, you have to, they call this the most high quality teas, you pick two leaves and a bud. And so normally, uh, because of that, women uh, tend to be the majority of, of the tea workers because of their smaller hands and just the delicate nature of picking tea. So mm -hmm. in, the, in the supply chain, um, I would say it's like more than 75% of tea workers are, are women. Um, and it is, uh, it's pretty terrible, the level of poverty that they live in. I mean, they make about a dollar to a dollar fifty a day. Um, picking tea. So even by Kenyan standards, that's, you know, I mean, by the world, you know, uh, monetary fund, it's, it's deep poverty, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, so that's one piece of it. But then the other piece is like, you know, in Kenya, I mean, when I think about them, and I think about, you know, the ways that they want to improve their life, and I really focused on um, how can we ensure that they become financially independent. And so through 
through our research, you know, I understood that in Kenya, um, there's a huge gender gap in lots of areas, uh, but one of them is land ownership. And so when in Kenya, 95% of land is owned by, um, is owned by men. And it's because it's passed down generationally to boys. And so mm-hmm. when you're born a girl, which is obviously no fault of your own, right? I mean, like, I, I want to get to a world where it's post-gender, post-racial, where it's all just about, you know, your contributions, period, and not have to mm-hmm. worry about whether you're a girl or a boy. But the reality is, you know, when you're born a girl, especially in that part of the country, there are already some barriers um, that hold you back a little bit more than you it, you would if you were born a uh, a boy. So because of that, they don't get access to this, you know, very empowering asset. I mean, when you own land, um, you get access to credit. Uh, when you own land, you can make, uh, you can plant additional cash crops, right, um, to sell into the marketplace to support your family. You can, um, you can plant foods uh, to feed your family. So, so there's a lot of things that you can do with land that you just don't have access to. And so that was the biggest. I think biggest gender gap um, that I saw and that was relevant um, to this particular uh, beneficiary, like the female uh, tea workers. And so we really focused on three key areas um, when we talk about like our social impact work. And, you know, one is providing um, training and education uh, for the, the tea working population, which includes men too, because, you know, we, we obviously talk about nutrition, we talk about uh, financial management and budgeting, and we also talk about just kind of uh, gender equity issues, to be quite honest. Um, there was a, a story of, of, of a guy who got, it gets me every time, you know, he told me the story, but um, he was one of the folks that went through our training and um, he said that his wife would get up you know, at like three in the morning, two or three in the morning, and she would clean, she would cook, she would go get the firewood, she would do all of these things while he slept. <laughs> oh. And I was like, hey, buddy, how can I get that deal? But uh, but, <laughs> but he would tell me the story, he said, you know, and I would sleep and, you know, and of course, when it was time to get up, um, you know, they would go pick tea and she was just so tired. And, you know, her output was, was, was not great because, you know, she was, she was up doing all these other things. And so when he said that he took our training and realized, oh, okay, this really does impact our earnings as a family and all these other things. And so he ended up getting up with her and helping with some of these, you know, communal uh, kind of things. And sure enough, um, uh, she was able to pick more tea. They were able to make more money. They were able to, you know, budget and, and, and uh, manage their family budgets better. They were able to send their kids to school. I was like, wow. This is so amazing, but but just mm-hmm. that one story of just a little bit of change, you know, and how that impacted that family was has just always stuck with me and resonated with me. So, so that's one aspect of what we do is just sort of that ma- uh, financial management and training and education. Um, the other piece is what I'm couching under support community support services, and this part of the program hasn't been activated yet, um, but it, it is. I, we want to give scholarships to. Um, uh, their children, because in Kenya, they have to pay to go to school um, starting in the eighth grade. And so if mm. you do the math, you know, even boarding school, it's a boarding school culture, but even if they go to day school, it's like two thirds of their yearly salary, just, you know, just not feasible. So they drop out and kind of, you know, repeat the cycle of poverty. 
The third piece is the land piece we talked about. It's like, you know, I want to give them access to land where they're able to, um, you know, improve their lives and make more money. And so that's what that's what we do in, in our social impact model. And these key workers really had a hand in creating the program and creating the model. Because I'm super sensitive about, you know, me as a, a, a westernized person going over somewhere else and saying, oh, hey, this is what you need, you know, without actually living the life and not understanding, you know, really uh, what they're going through. So they also mm-hmm. had a hand in, in creating this too. So on that third piece, when you talk about, um, so access to land, so does mm-hmm. Purpose T, because uh, I saw on uh, the website kind of the spin wheel on this is what happens when you buy a Purpose T. So does Purpose okay. T, I guess, negotiate with microloans or does it personally give out loans? Or uh, I guess how does yeah. it help the farmers on uh, accessing an acre of land? Because I saw, you know, your chart kind of showed just on how economically different it is between being a tea picker and being a tea farmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so what we've done is we've launched a beta program uh, and we work really close with our supplier. So our tea, our, the tea factory is, uh, is really who the supplier is because what happens is the farmers will sell their tea into the tea factory and the tea factory will process it and then we'll buy it from them, right? Mm-hmm. So I work really closely with our suppliers and what we've done is, um, and, and I just want to put a caveat out there, like this, this social impact program will evolve organically as we see fit, right? It's like when you start, start implementing programs and you start experiencing challenges and then you kind of iterate and iterate and make sure that it, it is the best that it can be. And so what we, the model started out with, Okay, so an acre of tea farm, which is the commercial, it's like a, considered a commercial size in Kenya. Um, it's to, to lease it, it's about five hundred dollars U.S. dollars a year. Um, but what we found out is you can't just do that and have one female tea worker, you know, kind of because she wouldn't know what to do with this land. And so what we've done is we started phase that part out. And we had a beta program where uh, the we had given them access to smaller plots of land, these tea workers, um, where they were able to, to plant vegetables, cash crops, things like that to sell back in the marketplace. And then they were also planting uh, purple tea seedlings um, on the land of, of, of the, our, our supplier just to see like, can they make more money with it? It gets, it puts back more supply and more purple tea into the marketplace. Um, how long is this program going to last? Are they staying or are they leaving? And so we've started that particular program with land to see which of these women, um, you know, can one gain some value from it and what problems we're seeing from the program so we can make it better. But the concept when we first started out would have been let's participate, let's have some tea workers in, in the regions where we source our tea. Uh, let's lease uh, land, like just based on the proceeds of, of, of the sales of our tea, uh, which we do 5%. Um, and then let's see how this works. But we quickly realized that it would, would have been too overwhelming. And so we started smaller with, um, with this the smaller access to land um, and really honing in on 
um, sort of the challenges we're seeing on the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so with, um, I guess, additional challenges on the ground um, with some of the tea farms that you work with, has anyone, because, uh, you know, I see on the website, you know, you show some of the stories of some of mm -hmm. these tea pickers and tea farmers and kind of mm -hmm. some of their kind of stories on what they go through. Has anyone, I guess, been, uh, has there been any changes with COVID-19? Has anyone, you know, gotten sick on uh, working on a tea farm or uh, has everyone been able to quarantine or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, the good, Kenya actually has done much better than um, the U.S., I mean, per capita mm -hmm. in terms of the COVID uh, crisis. But the thing about tea, tea farms, they're out in, in the more rural areas, so not a lot of people on top of people. Um, and so when I talked to our supplier, he said that they were able to, uh, you know, not many folks have been getting sick. So that's good. And then you're outside, too. You're not really near a lot of people. So um, so that's been good, but I would say COVID, you know, has posed challenges for us as a company um, because, you know, we had a few launches that were scheduled for this past year that were delayed. Um, it has also really changed shopping behaviors. And so, you know, before, right, you'd have uh, you'd probably go to Central Market or to Whole Foods and maybe you would meander a little bit and do some sampling and taste some things and learn about new things, right? Um, mm -hmm. But that's changed because people are like, I'm going to get in there and get out. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to get in there, get what I need and get the heck out of there. And so that's changed consumer behavior, which has really posed a challenge for us, you know, as a small brand um, and a, an emerging brand. Um, and then, of course, our demoing and sampling programs like those have completely changed with COVID. And so we really had to uh, think really fast. And so you mentioned at the top of the interview where there was like a BOGO coupon for our products. Well, that was really as a result of the fact that we couldn't launch properly in Whole Foods. Whole Foods was one of those retailers here locally in the Dallas-Worth area that we launched. And it was delayed a little bit, but it still launched at the height of the pandemic. Like we were on shelves, I think, April of 2020. Um, couldn't do anything with a launch because, you know, everyone was super stressed out in the stores trying to stock the shelves with toilet paper and, you know, all the different other items that people were hoarding at the time and no one would pay any attention to us. And so we were like, oh, we need to take this into our own hands. And so, of course, we then developed um, that BOGO kind of program just to make sure that people, you know, were incentivized to try it. And so... That's how, you know, that's how we sort of had to pivot and be a bit more creative around um, how we can get folks to, to try our product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as far as um, when you kind of bring up creative strategies on kind of bringing in new audiences, I saw on yeah. the kind of social media with the Instagram, uh, which I thought was funny, was kind of different cocktails that you can use the purpose purple tea for. And kind of mm -hmm. saw, yeah, I kind of saw some of those pages. I was kind of wondering if, uh, really, with uh, with COVID nineteen, um, with a lot of people at home, kind of coming up with more like do it yourself projects and kind of coming up with mm -hmm. um, different types of recipes. Has uh, has being at home kind of given you kind of more time to come up with uh, cocktails or purpose uh, or kind of new ways to use the purpose purple tea? Yeah, you know, I have this amazing um, 
woman who just became such a super advocate of our products and she had tried it at Whole Foods too. And she cooks with it and she does all kinds of stuff with it. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. I mean, I had thought about the mocktails and the cocktails um, prior to COVID uh, just to kind of, you know, thinking through application of the product and how people use it. And I talked to this, um, actually my sales guy talked to this really cute little lady at Whole Foods and she says, oh, I just, you know, my husband's diabetic, so he has to take the unsweetened, but I put a little vodka in the, <laughs> in the watermelon mint and I was like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. And so, so that, you know, we had already had cocktails and mocktails sort of ideated before that, but I think that's how people are, I mean, I think people are using uh, the product. I mean, it's a versatile product. I mean, you can use it and pair it with it just what you're eating. And, and it's great with, you know, lunches and dinners and things like that. This other consumer is using it instead of water to make her oatmeal, which is pretty unique. Um, I, you know, my husband's a huge craft cocktail guy and he's, you know, made a couple of cocktails with the tea itself too. I just drink it straight again, you know, for the health reasons, uh, you know, instead of mm -hmm. just water, why wouldn't you um, drink something that has much more added benefits than water? And so that's why I drink straight up purple tea like all the time throughout the day mm -hmm. for the antioxidants. Um, so I don't, I mean, I'm kind of a boring person, I think, when it comes to the, the beverage piece. But yeah, but other people have showed me just different ways that they, they've used it. So yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you know, people are experimenting more, they're cooking more, they're doing different things at home. And so you know, we're trying to uh, help them be a bit more creative. We just had a post today about, you know, making a green smoothie and using, um, using our, our, our purple tea. Mm -hmm. And I kind of saw um, really with your Voyage Dallas article, I guess to go back to the changes with the company uh, due to COVID and mm -hmm. kind of was wondering on you know, like has the online business and kind of the online orders been picking up or do you kind of foresee that possibly, uh, you know, could that become a huge part of the business? Um, because I kind of imagine with more possibly after COVID with a, you know, a significant portion of businesses considering allowing remote workers to continue remote uh, working and um, a lot of businesses kind of thinking of possibly not using commercial buildings and not having an office. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, you won't have kind of business sales when it comes to uh, coffee and tea products. Uh, do you mm -hmm. foresee online becoming a, a larger part of your business or do you foresee just kind of more uh, chain openings after COVID? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So when we when we uh, launched our e-commerce, it was like, this was my thinking was, well, I think with beverages, like, do you, you have to build the awareness and the affinity for it before someone's going to buy like a freaking case of tea, right? I mean, like, who's going to mm -hmm. buy like 12 bottles of tea without trying it first, right? Uh, but um, we we slowly, we, I said, okay, because our, one of our distributors has this program and they're like, you know, we work with small brands to so help you get online. I thought, well, let's just try it. And that was the end of the well, beginning of 2020. And I'm so grateful that I did that. It's funny, but you know, timing, a lot of times with business, it's about timing, right? Um, so we had, we had, we started selling beginning of 2020 and I wasn't going to put a ton of focus on it at all because my, my thinking was still wrapped around, oh, you know, let's just 
easily just kind of ease into this thing. Um, sure enough, COVID hit, and I thought, okay, everyone's ordering stuff online, and why not come up with you know a program where people would be more willing to try you know a smaller whatever. Let's have let's let's just throw some discounts out there. So we did focus a little bit more on how to acquire uh, customers online and we have and um and we have some really really loyal customers that love our products that um that re that repeat order online so right now we're in the middle of launching our our new website so hopefully by the end of january beginning of february we'll, we'll have that up and running and that'll be our own um, shopify site because right now we have um, our distributor is managing that actual store hmm. and so with that there are some you know that poses some challenges for us from a marketing perspective because there's a there's like a data um there's a data gap where you know i i can track you from where you saw the ad until you get to our our website but you're not i can't tell if you're buying anything <laughs> i don't know who you are <laughs> what you do and all those things and so we're in the process of developing our own site just for those reasons um, and of course user experience and all that stuff but but yeah no we have seen a, a tick but it's still going to be um, I mean retail is still 95% of our business and we're going to be gearing up for a ginormous launch um, this year with a with a retailer um, that I had only pitched you know several divisions for um, but they wanted to do a national rollout of the brand so oh, well wow. That's that's exciting, but it's also, I mean, any entrepreneur that's listening to this or is going to be, it's also, you know, pretty scary because it requires a lot of capital requirements, uh, making sure there's alignment around operations, manufacturing capabilities, marketing, you know, uh, all of this <laughs> field field mm -hmm. resources. Um, so it's going to be like a great, it's a great problem to have essentially. Yeah, and I think um, I remember seeing that, I think, in the Dallas Innovates article where you kind of talked about um, possibly launching, like, too early on certain chains. And I'm kind of wondering, yeah. is that – so is the importance of capital, does uh, does a chain tell you straight up on just the amount of cases uh, or the amount of quantities they expect kind of on a monthly basis or – do you have to pay up front for kind of manufacturing the tea products or? Yeah, yeah, you do. I mean, depending on the sort of terms that you work out with your um, with your suppliers, but, you know, um, and I have, I've worked out terms with, with our suppliers, so it does help with um, cash flow. But you do have to produce the product, obviously, a month or two before, uh, before you get that PO from that retailer. And then, of course, the retailer's PO, they have like 30-day terms on it, so you can get <laughs> like 60 90 days right without uh without getting a ton of cash flow and so so in this business um you know the capital requirements are pretty big and um and when i mentioned in that article about maybe launching too soon it it really has a lot to do with making sure that you're you're funded properly um to to get you know to get the word out because marketing and 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 financing the the actual production of of the product uh doing retail activation at these stores requires money and so you have to invest uh quite a bit um into into that dream and into that vision 
in order to see right the returns later. But um, but I think with this new sort of natural and national rollout with this retailer, which I'm not ready to announce today, but um, they, I mean, I think in the investment space, it's kind of like, oh, people want to see that you're, you have some traction before they'll fund you, but then you need funding to get traction. You know, it's like this sort mm-hmm. of double-edged sword. Um, mm-hmm. But I think with this, this commitment, um, I think that'll help propel, uh, propel us. And one, we have to, I mean, we, we just have to, there's no other way around it. We have to find and and raise the round because I'm I'm raising a a seed round of capital now for the company. But I think with this announcement, um, there's investors that I've been talking to that hopefully will finally you know just say, oh okay, yeah, we get it. You need it, and what an exciting opportunity, um, you know, to to roll out. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely um yeah yeah definitely look forward to kind of how that rollout goes. And yeah, I hope it, especially with COVID-19 and I really hope after COVID-19, you continue to meet new chains and also uh, make a huge difference with tea farms and kind of the Kenya area and keep on going with that. Um, Yeah, I think that's kind of all the questions that I've had, but I wanted to thank you again for coming on to this podcast episode, helping me out um explaining sure. just the tea business during COVID nineteen and kind of really just your backstory. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you reaching out and you know, I always love talking about it. So anytime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I want to say to the uh listeners right now, um yeah, I kind of opened the purpose purple tea watermelon mint products uh during our conversation and yeah, tried uh, some of it and yeah, it's a really good product. Oh, good. I'm so glad you like it. I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of a, yeah, it's like a slight, uh, kind of a slightly sweet taste and definitely tastes kind of the, uh, kind of the mint and watermelon there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I like the product. Awesome. I appreciate you getting some supporting us in the market. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, thank you again um, for coming on this podcast. And yeah, I think it's going to be a really cool episode. Awesome. Thank you, Grace. I appreciate it.